Hi, and welcome to The Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each podcast, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two here to help you help your children fully bloom. On a daily basis, with every client we see and with our own children, we are working to heal and or protect them from a hidden epidemic. It's one that happens all day, every day, and most of us aren't even aware of it. Or maybe... We are, but we don't know what to do about it or feel completely hopeless about changing it. We're talking about weight stigma. As clinicians, we know that weight stigma is a major barrier for kiddos and actually adults to fully bloom. So we wanted to bring you the very best expert we could find on this topic to help us all better understand why weight stigma may actually be the biggest body positive problem to solve. We are thrilled to be talking with Dr. Rebecca Pearl, an assistant professor of psychology and psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania. In addition to earning her PhD from Yale University, she completed her pre-doc at McLean Hospital Harvard Medical School. Dr. Pearl's research investigates the mental and physical health consequences of weight stigma. Her work also explores strategies to reduce weight-biased attitudes, which we think is invaluable to the toolbox of every body positive parent. Dr. Burl, welcome to the Full Bloom Project. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know about you? No, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of this project. Great. We're really excited too. We're excited we found you and, and you can talk to us today. So let's start with what brought you to your research on weight stigma and weight bias attitudes? Yeah, so initially my interest was more in body image from the eating disorder side. Um, And when I was an undergraduate student, I had a great opportunity to get involved in research that was being conducted by psychology graduate students and professors. And I was learning about things like fat talk among college students and weight teasing in adolescents. And during that research experience, I started reading work by Kelly Brownell about obesity and food policy. And through that experience, I began reading more of his work, which also touched on weight stigma and really opened up that field of inquiry. So I started thinking more about body image from the obesity side. And that really led me to this area of weight stigma, which from an academic perspective has a lot of really interesting empirical questions to be tested, but also from a societal level um, deals with social justice and issues of morality and politics. So for me, it was really a, a fascinating and important area that I'm, I'm very excited to be able to be continuing to do work in. And we're so excited that you're doing that work. And like Leslie said, so excited you're here to talk to us because we're aware that a lot of people listening to this may not really understand what weight stigma is and of course like why it can be so harmful so if we could start just by getting your 
crystal clear definition of what weight stigma is, I think that would be a great place for us to begin. Yeah. So stigma broadly is defined as a devaluation of an individual based on a distinguishing mark or characteristics. So there are lots of different forms of stigma that many different kinds of people in society face. And so with weight, we're really talking about negative attitudes toward people who are perceived to have excess weight. So people with higher body weights in particular. Of course, we know that attitudes about people regarding weight can affect people of all weight statuses, but the most prominent and prevalent form is negative attitudes against people with a higher body weight. That's really what we refer to as weight bias as well, this kind of prejudice or these negative attitudes about people because of their weight. And because of these negative attitudes in society, we know that people are socially rejected and ostracized and devalued because of their weight. And that's really what stigmatization refers to. Okay. I hope that our listeners really get that because it's like a term that we hear, but really think about for a moment, like how that's happening in in your life as a listener. And then, I mean, you talk about this idea of kind of weight bias internalization in, in your work. I'm curious if you could kind of further define what that is. Mm-hmm. Sure. So because these negative attitudes regarding weight are so prevalent and salient in our society, it's not surprising that many people who have a higher body weight internalize these messages. So they might buy into the negative stereotypes that exist and apply those negative stereotypes to themselves and as a result devalue themselves because of their weight. So this is sometimes referred to as self-directed stigma. And I'll note that this goes beyond just body dissatisfaction. So this isn't just not liking the way a person looks because of their weight. This is when people who have a higher body weight really base their overall self-evaluation, their self-concept, their self-esteem is so unduly influenced by the fact that they have this higher body weight. And this can seep into how they view themselves across lots of different social contexts, how they view themselves in their jobs, um, in their relationships, that's all affected by the fact that they have a higher body weight. Like an over-identification with just like this one aspect of themselves that they judge very harshly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And why is this so harmful? Why is weight stigma and weight bias internalization so harmful? That's a really important question because there does seem to be a misperception that when it comes to weight, perhaps a little bit of stigma might be helpful for health. Um, So with other kinds of stigma, like stigma related to mental illness or drug addiction, it's been widely recognized that stigma is harmful. And it is considered to be a form of chronic stress, especially if you consider on a day-to-day basis how often people are facing these kinds of messages or negative experiences related to their stigmatizing characteristic and weight in this case. But with weight, sometimes people think that if people felt too good about themselves or too good about their bodies, then they would become complacent and wouldn't try to eat better or exercise. And what we're finding time and time again with now, you know, decades of research 
is the exact opposite of that. So when people are stigmatized because of their weight or discriminated against or have internalized this stigma, they have worse mental and physical health outcomes than people who have not had these kinds of stigmatizing experiences. And in this body of research, the researchers control for factors like BMI or weight, other kinds of health metrics or health aspects. So they're really honing in on what are the effects of weight stigma above and beyond the effects of weight. So it's not just that people who have other health risk factors and also are stigmatized are having these negative outcomes. It's when you hold everything else consistent, when you hold weight consistent or other health factors consistent, people who experience an internalized weight stigma have worse health outcomes. And some of these health outcomes that we find to be associated with weight stigma are in terms of mental health, increased risk for depression, anxiety, body dissatisfaction, substance use. Among adolescents who experience weight bullying and teasing, you have increased risk for suicidal ideation and attempts. So very serious mental health consequences and correlates of weight stigma. And as far as physical health consequences, we often see that when people feel stigmatized because of their weight, they eat more to cope with that stress. They avoid exercising because if someone doesn't feel good about him or herself and doesn't feel confident going out in public, that doesn't make it appealing to go into a fitness setting or to go out in public and and walk. We also find that there are physiological responses to the stress of stigma. So there have been really nicely done experimental studies as well as big epidemiological studies linking experiences of weight discrimination and stigma and internalized stigma to increased cardiometabolic risk factors like the metabolic syndrome, changes in cortisol, other markers of inflammation. And these kinds of physiological outcomes are in of themselves health risk factors, but they also can affect things like appetite, which then cycle back to make people want to eat more. So between these behavioral health outcomes and the physiological health outcomes that are associated with weight stigma, people actually gain more weight over time when they report the experience of weight discrimination and weight stigma. So this is counterintuitive to what a lot of messages in society tell us about, you know, a little bit of shame and blame motivating people to lose weight or change their health behaviors. That is just not the case when people feel stigmatized because of their weight. They actually gain more weight over time. That's so relevant and just so upsetting to me to hear You know, I'm working with this every day with adolescents who just are starting to experience weight stigma or had one comment made and it just became a major, major problem. Or adults who have been experiencing this their whole life and the the negative um, aspects of it has caused them to, you know, keep being in my office. I just wanted to like share one thing because I think it's really relevant. I was talking with a friend um, the other day who has a friend who loves to run and she's in a, a much larger body than the average runner or the average runner that's walking into a running store. And when she went to buy new running shoes at the local running store, 
she experienced a huge amount of stigma to the point that, like, she wasn't even able to buy new running shoes, which kind of just, like you're saying, just counteracts this whole thing that she's doing for herself that she enjoys um, and is, is great for her. And the weight stigma completely, like, sent her backwards in terms of supporting her health behaviors. And this is kind of one of those real-life examples that I wanted to share because I think it's relevant. In light of what we're talking about, what are some of the assumptions that, that people may have when they see someone on the street in a larger body? Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you sharing that example. And unfortunately, that's not an uncommon kind of experience. And in the work that I've been doing, I've had the opportunity to interview a lot of people about their experiences with weight stigma. Um, and whether it's in a fitness setting or other kinds of social settings, um, even sitting down on a bus and having a stranger make a comment about not wanting to sit next to them. These kinds of experiences do happen all the time. And, and I think most people aren't aware of how pervasive these experiences can be. And as far as the assumptions, some of the most common stereotypes that have been documented in research about people with higher body weights are that they're lazy, that they don't have any self-control or willpower, that they eat all the time, that they're unhealthy and not active. There are some assumptions that are made about people's intelligence or competence level because of their weight, thinking that they're not as hardworking or that they're less capable, less intelligent, that they don't have any friends or have social impairment. And so there's lots of internal characteristics that are ascribed to people just based on how they look on the outside. Like you were saying, Leslie, it's it's hard to hear all of this because as a clinician and someone that I consider myself pretty informed about, about this stuff, like it's hard to reconcile how pervasive this really is with the reality that none of it's true. <laughs> I mean, or that you can't possibly know any of those things about a person just by looking at them. And yet, it's this societal problem. If we have a listener right now, for example, listening to what you're saying and saying, yeah, like I do kind of think those things when I see Mm -hmm. a person in a higher body or when I look at my kid who's in a bigger body, maybe they're going through puberty or maybe they just are in a bigger body. Like Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here saying, yeah, like those are the things I worry about or that I think about when I look at my kid. I want to say, I kind of want to normalize it in a way, like, I don't want to say it's okay, like, we can't stop there, but it's a societal thing that we all are, you know, we're all part of, and that if you are having some of those associations, when you see a person in a larger body, whether it's a stranger or it's your own loved one, knowing that you're having those associations is the first step to then maybe thinking about it differently, but I want to both sort of call out that this is a big problem and also not shame anyone that may be having some of those associations, because if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably here to do better, you know, and think about things differently. So I guess I just wanted to note that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's a really good point because everybody has biases, right? That's part of being human. Our brains come up with these ways of you know, categorizing people and everyone has biases. That's natural. And so the important thing is to be aware 
of your biases, to be aware when you're making these assumptions, and to engage with them and challenge them. So for example, you know, we know that weight and BMI are not perfect metrics of health. And just by looking at someone, you don't know what their eating habits are like. You don't know what their physical activity habits are like. You don't know if someone on the street that you see maybe just lost some weight. And we know medically what's typically recommended as sufficient or medically recommended weight loss is a 5 to 10% weight loss of one's initial body weight through you know, changing eating habits and engaging in physical activity. So for someone who's, for example, 200 pounds, that would be a 10 to 20 pound weight loss. And that really can have significant health benefits for a person in terms of lowering blood pressure and reducing risk for diabetes. But it's not something that visually you might be able to see those health changes. Um, So it is important when you look at someone to push back on assumptions you might be making about internal characteristics or their health behaviors or health status. And I just wanted to add to what you were saying, because I think it's important, one, to note that that stat you gave pertains to adults. Um, Yes, that is um, correct. And if anyone listening is curious to know more about how that figures into children and adolescents, let us know, and we can can get that info. We're respectful of the fact that that that's a stat in relation to adults, but also to kind of bring it full circle, the hypothetical person that lost five to 10% and did enjoy some medical benefits from that, let's say recommended weight loss, they probably didn't successfully lose that weight because they were shamed into doing so or because of the negative feelings that they're having towards themselves. I want to sort of be mindful of that piece of it, that being able to take care of themselves requires them to value themselves and to not think of themselves as, you know, a problem because of being in a larger body. I just, I kind of want to make that connection. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, And there is actually research on healthcare interactions showing that when patients feel judged or criticized by their healthcare provider, they're actually less likely to be successful in losing weight. And they're also less likely to adhere to treatment recommendations from their doctor. They're less likely to go back um, or to seek out preventative health care services if they feel shamed. So absolutely that, you know, shaming someone is not an effective way of helping them to make health behavior changes or to lose weight. I, I thank you for, for clarifying that. Part of our mission here is to educate everyone so that everyone can start knowing this and that parents can can really know that so that when they're relating to their very young children, they have a chance to get their children to grow up just knowing that in the way that we do as, as professionals in this field. Also, I mean, before we get to the million dollar question, if each parent listening to this podcast took away one thing and did one thing on the regular, I kind of want to like caveat that with this kind of pre-conversation, which is I think a lot of people and myself included could listen to this podcast and think, oh my gosh, being in a larger body comes with all this stuff. I want to do everything I can to protect my kid from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't want that to be what people take away because we have to change the weight stigma starting from ourselves as parents. And we need to know what that is and work against it within ourselves, not just try to have your child's body not be one that might be um, stigmatized. To make an analogy, 
oh my gosh, being short seems awful. I want to do all that I can to not have my child be short, you know? Yeah. Um, And I like the height metaphor because people don't often realize how much biology and genetics plays a role in determining a person's weight. And especially during childhood and adolescent, weight fluctuates and that's very normal. But genetics make up about 40 to 70 percent of the variance in determining a person's weight. So a, a big part of a person's body size or weight is determined by biological and genetic factors. So there will be children and adolescents who have higher body weights. There is always going to be a range of different body sizes of both children and adults. So the goal is not to prevent someone from having a higher body size, um, especially during that adolescent time when bodies are changing. Now, if you know, a parent is concerned about their child's eating habits or activity, then they can certainly talk with them about improving their eating habits, kind of having healthy eating and activity be a goal for everyone in the family, not just because someone has a higher body weight. Um, so a parent can talk with their child or adolescent about health behaviors without shaming them or without focusing on the weight itself. If I'm hearing that, you know, in my family, if one of my children is in a bigger body and the other child is in a smaller body, I'm talking to them the same way about health behaviors, like that we want to be moving our bodies and we want to be eating, you know, balanced nutrition as best we can. But I'm not relating to my child in the bigger body differently than I'm relating to my child in the smaller body. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to try to avoid singling out a child who has a higher body weight by, you know, not allowing that child to have dessert or making that child run around more than the other child. So that is a way that, you know, children can feel stigmatized because of their weight. So health goals should be for everyone. You know, the only attention that you might think about giving to your child if you have a child with a higher body weight is checking in to see, if they might be experiencing weight teasing at school. So, you know, of course, not jumping to the assumption that they are just because of their weight. But if you pick up signs of, you know, your child seeming more down after school or, or other kinds of signs that something might be going on at school, then, you know, it's important to be there for your child if, if weight teasing or bullying is something that they're going through and having some sensitivity and attention and awareness that, that is something that a lot of children with higher body weights do experience. So rather than responding by, you know, really emphasizing that your child needs to lose weight to prevent the weight teasing, instead being supportive and being there to, you know, help the child through that challenging experience. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so glad that Leslie offered the caveat and that we could have that little pre-conversation, but we're going to wrap up, but not before asking you that million dollar question. Um, And I know Leslie asked it, but if each parent listening to this episode just could take away one thing and do one really practical thing on the regular, Dr. Rebecca Pearl, what is the one thing they should do? Uh, Well, there's a lot of pressure that it's worth a million dollars, but (laughs) I think the main thing is to keep in mind that kids listen and there is evidence that kids as young as preschool age show these kinds of weight biases or preferences for thinner peers versus peers of a higher weight. 
So, you know, even if you're not making comments about your child, when you make comments about other people's weight or about your own weight, kids pick up on that. So as much as parents can try to be aware of any biases they might have related to weight and abstain from making comments about other people's weight, about, you know, one's own weight and and about a child's weight. Period. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love it because it's like children will listen, children hear, and just be mindful, like be aware of the way you're talking about your own body, their bodies, and like just try not to talk about bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think just every listener can sit and realize, wow, that probably happens a lot and we're not even meaning to... There's not an effect when, in fact, there clearly is an effect we can learn from the research, and it starts there. You know, it it can be very impactful to have um, a family that doesn't talk about people's bodies and is really mindful of that, and that's one thing that we can do every day as parents is be mindful of that. Yeah, increasing our conscious parenting skills. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So that's our show. Personally, I most appreciate Dr. Pearl's acknowledgement that we all have biases. It's natural. It's normal. Even weight biases. And of course we do. Look around. We are all living in a culture that favors thinner bodies and celebrates weight loss far more than it promotes the critical fact that humans, kids included, are not all meant to be long and lean. We'll be talking much more over the course of the season about diet culture at large and what else we can do to serve as buffers for our children. But it all starts with getting really honest with yourself about what your personal biases are. For more guidance around this and so much more, please sign up for our mailing list at fullbloomproject.com to gain access to the virtual guide to this episode. Each ABC guide is carefully curated for parents who want to reinforce the topics we discuss, get access to additional resources, and put body-positive parenting into practice. As always, we are interested in your take on this episode and what new parenting practice our guest inspired in you. We'll be on the lookout for your comments and questions on Instagram, so please be sure to follow us at Full Bloom Project and tune back in next time for more body-positive parenting wisdom.